0: Creation is a very controversial issue among many individuals in our time. Are there only two options to look at the creation of the world and how God may have uh, been involved in the issue? Or are we only left with a naturalistic explanation? Catch this as we revisit Six Views on Creation on this edition of the Billator Christi Podcast.
1: Listening to the Bellator Christi Podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristi.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas.
0: Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics while taking Christian truth into the arena of ideas, this is the Bellator Christi Podcast, and this is your host for the time we have together, yours truly, Brian Chilton. Uh, we want to remind you that the Bellator Christie podcast is a production of BellatorChristie and is uh, also we also want to encourage you to go to the website. And while you're there, uh, we encourage you to subscribe. And by doing so, you'll receive all of the articles uh, that are as they are produced, and uh, as well as links to the podcast as they become available. Uh, the best thing is, is it's absolutely free, and we also are, or uh, are, you can catch us uh, on the podcast on the go and take us with you on the go. We're available on several different apps. Uh, we're on uh, iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, as well as Google Play. And uh, if you uh, go to, if you have an Android, uh, you can download the Podcast Addict app and then you can catch uh this podcast and a lot of others like uh this podcast as well i want to give a shout out uh, as we're talking about this i want to give a shout out to uh, dr amy downey uh, she has begun a new podcast uh, if you type in Tazaka ministries or if you type in her name amy amy downey it should bring up uh the uh podcast that she has and so um Just want to give a shout-out to her, and uh, I think it is called – let me pull this up right quick. Uh, This podcast is called – I believe it's Explore – exploring – the Messiah, uh, Explore Messiah, uh, with Tezaka Ministry. So if you put uh, if you just type in Explore Messiah, it should pull that up. In fact, she has a uh, podcast about tattoos. If you're interested in the uh, topic of tattoos and whether a, a Christian should have a tattoo, what's the biblical uh, evidence for or against having tattoos, go to her podcast and check that out. And she did a wonderful job with that topic. Um so, yeah, be sure to do, do that. Uh, got some great things. Uh, Gary Yates uh, will be with us uh, here in a few weeks. Uh, he is my professor at Liberty University. He's going to be talking about a book that he has published uh, on, that's been out for a little while, a commentary that he has written on the book of Jeremiah. That's coming up uh, the week of October, uh, April 13th, and so be looking for that podcast as it becomes available. Uh, so that's that's coming up. We have a lot of great things on board on TAP in the next few months um, and weeks ahead, looking at uh, scheduling some wonderful interviews uh, coming ahead. And so uh, just be looking for that uh, at bellatorchristie.com. And again, if you subscribe to us uh, on these different apps, you can catch the podcast as it becomes available. I want to give one more shout-out before we really launch into uh, this podcast topic today. I want to give a shout-out to Crosby Lane. They were with us at Huntsville Baptist Church this past Sunday, did an excellent job. And so uh, I want to give a shout-out to them and uh, just uh, thank them for a wonderful job, their friendship. Uh, if you have a chance to book Crosby Lane, uh, we encourage you to do so. Of course, we use, with permission, their song Crucified as the theme music here on the Tour Christie Podcast. And so um, we do encourage you to go check out their website at Lane. Dot .com and so they have some wonderful uh, music and a wonderful ministry, John Lamanis, uh, who is, uh, <laughs> we had some confusion about how to pronounce his last name. In fact, uh, Burl, uh, who does the uh, intro and, and uh, close for us, we we had a debate as to wh- how do you pronounce their name. Is it Lamanis or Lomonas, uh or Lamanese? And so, anyhow, I asked him, and he, sa- he told me, John told me, he says, well, it's a Greek name, and he says, my grandfather passed away before he actually really told me how to pronounce it, so it's still subject to interpretation, he said, but uh, Lamonis is how he says is pronounced, and how he believes it's pronounced, and Michaela, his wife, says Lamona. so anyhow, <laughs> be that as it may, wonderful couple, they produce some great music, and so we do encourage you to go check out their information. Alright, we want to talk about uh, today a very important topic, in fact, this is a revisit to a conversation uh, that, uh, uh, to a post that I posted back in 2012, I believe it's t- 2012 when I posted this originally, and I'm working on an update to this article. Uh, but as I was updating this article, I thought it would be an excellent idea to to go ahead and have another podcast talking about this. Uh, I've been at podcasting now since about 2012. I think that's actually when I started. I started on Blog Talk Radio. And so some of those topics... Um, some of those programs that were done on Blog Talk Radio, some of them are still available and others of them aren't. And so I tried to save all of the interviews that I conducted with people over the years, but... um some of the commentaries that I had on Blog Talk Radio, uh, they, 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 it, it went away. So I'm not sure if this was one of the programs that still is available there or not. So I'd like to revisit this on the Bellator Christie podcast, where this will be available at the website for as long as I'm able to keep the website up and going. Uh, the resources will be there available to you. Um, if you'd like to help support the ministry, uh, let me know. Uh, be sure to send me an email, and uh, we, we can work that out if you'd like to support the ministry in any way. But uh, but nonetheless, uh, this issue of creation is a very important topic, and it's one that um, can be controversial, And but I don't think it need be. And in fact... Uh, if if I can remember, I'd like to give some advice. Well, let me go ahead and give it now because it's too important not to mention. John Lennox. I had a chance to hear him at the National Conference on Christian Apologetics, uh, which we have a new advertisement for an event coming up this this year for it. Uh, depending on when my intensives are, if it's where I can, I'm going to try to be there myself. If it's not where, then um, then then obviously the PhD program takes. Uh, for, takes precedence. but uh, anyhow, I caught John Lennox on uh, on a wonderful wonderful lecture he gave a few years back. And he warned that when we talk about the issue of creation, we, we we need to be very careful that we don't become too dogmatic on any particular issue. okay? because he said at one time in history, Theologians, biblical theologians, as well as scientists, use the Bible and science to try to claim that the earth was flat. And he's right. So we need to be careful. We need to have the freedom while staying within the confines of Scripture. We don't want to lose the fundamental nature of Scripture. Um. We don't want to lose that. We need to stay within. I like what uh, Dr. Stephen Lowe at Liberty said in my first Ph.D. intensive. He he, he said stay within the ropes. I like that. Stay within the boundaries of orthodoxy. Staying within the boundaries of what Scripture gives us. We should have the freedom to explore those avenues while not leaving the ropes, while not leaving the boundaries. But at the same time, we, we need to be careful not to pigeonhole ourselves into too strict of a view. And and science as well, we need to be careful exclusively holding on to any one particular theory because at one time, again, scientists used to think that at one time in history that the world was flat. They also at one time in history thought that the sun revolved around the earth and then they were using science to try to prove that. You see, theories are uprooted, science changes, or or interpretations of science. The data never changes necessarily, but the interpretations of science always changes. And so we need to be, we need to take heed to not become too dogmatic on this issue. And I fear that's what's happened in many cases, where um, we've taken a view, and, and in fact, it's, it's, it's become nasty, whether you're a young earth creationist or an old earth creationist, Ken, I saw I saw a, um, a debate between Ken Hovind and Hugh Ross where, to be honest, I'm not taking up a position here, but I thought Hovind was nasty towards Hugh Ross and in his interpretation, his Old Earth interpretation. So I think we also need to be careful for those who hold to Old Earth interpretations not to belittle those who hold young earth interpretations. This is an area we need to have the freedom to discuss the issues, investigate biblical and scientific data, and see how they converge. But we need to stop this issue of, of uh, throwing people under the bus of heresy because they hold a different interpretation on this view. Um, because having met Hugh Ross, having read, read his material, I can tell you that he is not a heretic, in the way he interprets creation, okay. I don't think young earth interpreters are heretics for 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 looking at, and I don't think they're they're dumb or anything like that because they hold to the earth being six thousand years old. Okay, um, you may not agree with that. Okay, you may you may not agree with that, but let's not let's not cause ad hominems. Let's not argue by ad hominems. And throw people under the heretical bus if they're if they're holding to the core fundamentals of the faith, and and um, just holding a different interpretation. That's where I feel the problem has come uh, in this issue, and unfortunately, I think it also has crept in the whole issues of eschatology as well. That's why it's difficult for us to have conversations on eschatology, and and many people actually eschew conversations on eschatology because of um, the the, the combativeness combativeness of individuals, and um, I I fear that the same may occur with creation issues as well. So, let's revisit. There are actually six. uh, Many people believe that as we look at this issue, they believe that we only have two views. Atheistic evolutionism, or naturalistic evolutionism to say uh, that that there's a process of evolution, and that is to answer for everything that happens. There's no divine uh, makeup or no divine nature whatsoever. We don't need the divine in the issue, okay, Uh, don't need God in the issue. And then on the other side of the spectrum, many people believe that you have that option or you have the young earth interpretation where there's six literal 24-hour creation days and uh, that's it. So, So many people believe you have to choose between the two. And because you had to choose between the two, some people think, well, evolution's true because it appears that the universe is older than 6,000 years, therefore uh, proving evolution. Well, it's really, it's really mixing apples and oranges in this, in this case. There are six interpretations as it fits with um, creation. And as we get into this, we need to understand another issue at hand, and this issue is the discussion of natural and specific revelation, or natural or general revelation and specific revelation. Now, what is that? Natural revelation or general revelation is what can be known about God through nature. Natural revelation is revealed to all people. Okay, it's the evidence of of creation. I I think you can see this a lot of times in apologetics uh, when we talk about evidence for God, per se. Uh, When we talk about uh, the cosmological argument, we talk about the teleological argument. Many of these cases are issues of general revelation, natural revelation, things that we can see without even having to use Scripture. Evidences we see outside of Scripture for God's existence. I think even general revelation or natural revelation can even include historical studies looking at the resurrection and historicity of Jesus. You can see that without necessarily having to... I think you need to use the New Testament in this regard, but I think that you can look at this by an aspect of natural speaking. And in fact, I think a lot of times... I think we, we have, there's a discussion, uh, some individuals in our time, and I'm not trying to enter in this for, in this fray, but uh, uh, some people have been critical over Gary Habermas' uh, minimal facts argument, but I think Gary Habermas, he's not, only, he's not saying that that's the only evidence for the resurrection of Jesus or, or Jesus, he's saying that's a starting point. That's a starting point that we can that everyone can agree that the consensus of scholarship agrees on five or six different points concerning the life of Jesus. And then from there you can move on to other issues. It's a good starting point. So from natural revelation, we I think we can see, well, obviously we can see the universe is here. And I think we have good, strong indications that a creative presence. An intellectual eternal presence was involved in this process. In fact, I think you could even make an argument to say that this presence would be omnipresent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, would be, um, I think, omnibenevolent, um, uh, so, so omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent, omnipresent, Transcending the scope of the natural creation, I think you can even say omnibenevolent because of the fact that uh, even though the universe can be a hostile place, that everything was set in place for human sentient beings such as ourselves to exist. Okay, uh, by the moral standards, we can see that that uh, that God is a benevolent all the all absolute good. Okay, here again, we're not using scripture. We're, just, we're giving evidences naturally that speak of God's existence. And then we move into the specific revelation that we find uh, these are things that God has revealed about himself to us through prophets, priests, kings, the apostles, and whatnot, and ultimately through Christ. This is God's revelation of himself to individuals, and this is what we find in Scripture. General specific revelation or general revelation tells us about the triune nature of God, the mode of salvation, about God's uh, covenant relationships with humanity, and, and whatnot. So using both of these together, I think we can get a good picture of what happened in creation. Now some, let me just say this, some of these versions that you're going to hear about emphasizes greatly the natural Portion of revelation while de emphasizing specific revelation, whereas other cases may overemphasize specific revelation and ignore or bypass the natural revelation. Personally, I think uh, whatever take you have, I think there needs to be a balance of the two, and I think that uh, a balanced approach of the two to me taking what we evidence we have in scripture also the evidence we have in the natural world I think that gives us a better balanced view of of what actually happened in creation okay so I'm not going to give my viewpoint on this issue I'm going to let you decide on on this um, on this topic I, I will give you emphases on on which it, which, uh, views I don't hold to, and there are two or three we'll mention that I don't hold to, and, and so we'll, we'll uh, talk about that. But I want to go over these six different views on creation, and we'll do that right now. Um, looking first, we have fiat creationism. And this theory holds that the universe, and this is otherwise called Young Earth Creationism, this theory holds that the universe and everything in it was part of one exclusive creation event in time. The word fiat uh, indicates a special creation moment. That's what it's talking about. Um, many of these individuals, again also known as uh, Young Earth Creationists or YEC, they hold that the Earth and the universe are not much older than 6,000 years. They take the the um, genealogies we find in the Old Testament to come up with this, and in addition to the, um, the, the six literal creation days. Uh, and so, using the genealogies you find in the Old Testament, then then that's what they come up with the six thousand years. Now, there's a big question mark in many people's minds about how specific um, the those ancestries were meant to be. Okay, and this is a question mark many many scholars have. Uh, could it could they have bypassed certain generations, only highlighting the more important generations? So, in other words, my grandfather, uh, his name is. Is uh, Roy Chilton? Uh, he's gone to be with the Lord now. But, but my dad's name is Dennis. Okay, so if you were wanting to highlight, say, which my, my grandpa Roy was a World War II veteran, uh, so some some could say that Brian Chilton was is the ancestor of Roy Chilton, and that would be, or or, or is the descendant of Roy Chilton, and that would be correct. Because Roy Chilton, um, his son was Dennis, my dad, who who gave who uh, who had a son named Brian, who was me. Okay, who I am. So so many argue that with those ancestries that you may have some gaps in between, only highlighting the more important uh, ancestries. I'm not going to get into that. That's just some of the some of the issues that are involved with this discussion. Uh, that a person has to to look. At. You know, it has to look at them, and, and, the, and the individuals who hold that view hold just as much in, to biblical inerrancy as those who hold that these these generations are literal and should be taken that way. Okay, uh, Here again, I'm not offering a suggestion, I'm just saying that's, that's part of the conversation. Uh, so the strengths of this view is that uh, fiat creationists adhere to a literal, very literal reading of the Bible, of the biblical text, and really there aren't any theological issues with fiat creationism outside of some who treat the old those who hold opposing views in a very antagonistic fashion that's the only thing that i really have against young earth creationists is that i think that at times they can be very unchristlike to individuals who don't hold to the same uh, view. Now, weaknesses, co- the core weakness of fiat creationism is found in the body of what is the consensus of what many people would call the consensus of scientific data. Now, some people would argue with that, okay? Again, I'm not getting into this issue. Astronomical data suggests that the universe is much older than 6,000 years. So, the young earth creationist or the, the fiat creationist, whatever term you want to call that, Uh, they have to deal with that data, and they either have to show why that data is wrong and theirs is right, or they have to ignore the scientific data altogether. Now, I've seen individuals on both sides of this. Unfortunately, I have seen many more who just simply ignore the uh, scientific data than, than those who really all for good reasons for why a person should hold scientifically outside the biblical text to a 6,000-year time frame. So that is that is uh, one of the issues. Millard Erickson says, "...the statement that God brought forth each animal and plant after its kind has traditionally been interpreted as meaning that He created each species individually." He brings out, bringing out another problem. It must be pointed out, however, that the Hebrew noun men which is rendered kind in most translations, is simply a term of division. It is at this point of the scientific data that fiat creationism encounters difficulty According to Millard Erickson in his second edition. Now, famous adherents of young Earth creationism include Kim ha- Ken Ham and the Answers in Genesis uh, group. Uh, you can go find their uh, website at Answers Barry Setterfield, Henry Morris, Dale Tackett of uh, the Truth Project, and Walt Brown are more of the famous fiat creationists. Now, there are there is another theory called gap theory creationism, and simply put, this is this is this basically holds to six literal days, 24 hour days of creation. Uh, but there's a gap between a gap of time between Genesis 1:1 and Genesis 1:2, uh, where it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, And then there's a gap between that of an indeterminate period of time that uh, that would take place before you start the creative process. So many would say that the universe is much older, but the earth may not be as old as many people would say. Uh, Erickson here again helps us out by saying the gap theory holds that there was an original, quite complete creation of the earth perhaps billions of years ago, uh, the creation mentioned in Genesis 1.1. Some sort of catastrophe occurred, however, so that the creation became empty and, un- and unformed, one two, and then re- God recreated the earth a few thousand years ago in a period of six days, populating it with all the species. Okay, so again, the gap theory, the strong point is that it merges the scientific data with the biblical model. The gap theory gives a possible window into the fall of Satan, which disturbed the creation of God. Now, the weakness is that the fossil record seems to indicate that life has been on Earth longer than the 6,000-year window attributed to the Earth's creation by gap theorists. And, um, um... the theory is also speculative, outside of the references in Isaiah 14.12, which is highly uh, combated as to whether that talks more specifically about the, the king of Tyre or the fall of Satan. I think it talks about both, quite honestly. Uh, Luke 10.18, however, does talk about the fall of Satan in more explicit terms. But outside of those two texts, nothing much more is, is known about the fall and timing of the fall of Satan. So, therefore, it's difficult to provide biblical and scientific evidence to back up the gap theory's claims, um, but it's not impossible. Okay. Oral Roberts, C.I. So, Schofield, Jimmy Swaggart, Donald Gray Barnhouse, and Arthur Pink are all advocates of the gap theory. There's also what's called create, uh, progressive creationism, and many in the intelligent design movement would identify themselves as progressive creationists. This is also known as uh, old earth creationists, okay, or OEDs, old earth creationists. Uh, progressive creationists understand the days Some even will call this the the, the day-age theory. Uh, Progressive creationists understand the days of Genesis 1 to be six different, not literal 24-hour days, but six different phases of time not limited to a 24-hour period. Now, it may be that the day and evenings talked about in the creation moment talks about the final day, and then it moves into another phase. Okay, Erickson describes progressive creationism's view on the development of life as that they see the creative work of God as a combination of a series of de novo creative acts and an imminent or processive operation. God, at several points rather widely separated in time, created de novo, that is, created afresh fresh um, species. On those occasions, he did not make use of previously existing life, simply modifying it. So, in other words, what what the progressive creationist believes, in addition to holding the, to an old earth interpretation of Genesis 1, being that six instead of six literal 24-hour days, being six different phases of time, they also hold that God created these prototypes of different animals. Okay, there was, and there was a prototypical, say, a horse. And from that prototypical horse developed all these other breeds. From a prototypical... Wolf or something developed all these other wolves and perhaps dogs and things of that nature. From a prototypical cat developed all these different species of, of, uh, of, of animals. So God developed each kind of animal. However, different breeds developed among each animal over time. And God's hand would still be involved in that, but that would ha- happen more of a natural way. Um Because, here again, dogs don't produce cats and vice versa. Now, progressive creationists, it must be noted, are not evolutionists. They are creationists, just as the name implies. Now, the strengths are that uh, this greatly combines the biblical data with the scientific data. Uh, Recent scientific data seems to strengthen the progressive creationist viewpoint, um so you know that's that's one thing there too no major theological doctrine is affected by cre- progressive creationism now this will be contested by some young earth creationists and but I really don't have time to get into that issue but uh and this is where the weakness comes some traditional Christians may have a problem accepting the days listed in Genesis as phases instead of 24 hour periods of time especially in in lieu of the fact that, of, uh, of sin having an impact on creation. However, many progressive creationists explain the fall of Satan as the cause for the entrance of death in the universe and the sin of Adam as a cause of death among humanity. So the famous adherents of the Young Earth Creationism include Hugh Ross of Reasons to Believe, Fazal Rana, also of Reasons to Believe, Stephen Meyer of the Discovery Institute, uh, Greg Kokel uh, in his Stand to Reason, and as well as Michael Behe. And there's some websites you can check out. Discovery.org is uh, by the Discovery Institute. Reasons.org is the Reasons to Believe uh, website. And EvolutionNews.org, is another website to check out. Now the fourth one, the fourth is uh, fourth view is theistic evolution. Theistic evolutionists like progressive creationists or old earth creationists in that they believe the universe and the earth are old, but unlike progressive creationists, theistic evolutionists believe that God worked through the process of evolution. So they they hold to evolution, but they they believe that God is working through the process He's working through this process that God uses the process of evolution to bring forth certain mutations at certain times to bring about um, the certain species that God intends. Erickson, in his book on page 504, says, Thus, while God specially created the natural, the spiritual nature of Adam, his physical nature was a product of the process of evolution according to end of quote, according to the theistic evolutionist. Now, many would find the claims of theistic evolutionists to fit well with modern scientific claims. Uh, it can still, it can, quote-unquote, remain faith, true to the Bible. But one may say there may need to be some gymnastics there. I won't get into that. The weakness is that if theistic evolution is presented incorrectly, the historicity of Adam and Eve are brought into question, which could lead to a multiplicity of theological problems. And, and uh, in fact, RTB, uh, I think it's Ken Samples, if I'm not mistaken, and I hope I'm not misquoting him, he has noted that many in the theistic evolutionist uh, side tend to be more theologically liberal with some of the issues. And that's not to say that, that's, that they're... that. That makes it wrong, okay, but it does bring up some question marks for those of us who may be more conservative in our approach. Um, the Cambrian Explosion also calls into question the idea that life developed over an extremely long period of time because it seems like this Cambrian Explosion happened a lot quicker than what some people um have have doted. But anyhow, famous adherents are Francis Collins, Dennis Alexander, Jennifer Wiseman, and Kenneth R. Miller. And you can go check out Bio Logo, Logos, uh, biologos.org. Biologos is the main operating um, branch of theistic evolution. Deistic evolution is uh, a little different. This is a belief that God uh, started the evolutionary process. He programmed the the process, but then he withdrew from active involvement. And I don't have to tell you, there's all kinds of problems with this. The the deistic idea of God is is, is fraught with many issues. Um, Like theistic evolution and progressive creationism, deistic evolution finds acceptance among many modern scientists. The problem, though, becomes multifaceted when you look at the theological issues involved with deistic evolution. Um, And and, uh, Geisler says that uh, God, in, in deism... In deism, God does not reveal himself in any other way, but through creation, the universe is the deist Bible. And I think he's right, only that it reveals God and you don't know anything else about God. So I would reject this view. I wholeheartedly reject this view. And famous adherents of this include Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, and Voltaire, who were famous deists, so I wholeheartedly disagree with the deistic evolutionary concept of creation. I also wholeheartedly disagree with the sixth and final crea- uh, creation view that we'll view, that we'll talk about, and that's the naturalistic Darwinian evolutionary concept of creation. And basically, this view in this view, there is no God. There is no God. Uh, everything came to be by natural processes, and God is not involved in the process. And so when many individuals in the Christian world talk about evolution and Darwinianism, more specifically Darwinianism, they're talking about this naturalistic idea that, that, uh, that is, that is uh, strongly purported in secular academia. Uh, as Erickson explains, our world is simply a result of chance or random combinations of atoms or random combinations of mutations. The problem is, is that mutations, by and large, produce negative results, not positive. Um, philosophically, this viewpoint fails. Theologically, this viewpoint fails. And I even think that there's a growing reason to believe that scientifically this viewpoint fails. Um Especially if you if you look at the, the, the point of there being a consciousness existing outside, just just outside, uh, existing beyond the scope of just a mere human flesh, um, which the, the whole research into NDEs and things of that nature bring that to mind. So anyhow, um, I think that biblically speaking, I think that there are two that, of these six that we definitely need to throw out, and that would be the Darwinian evolutionist perspective uh, and also deistic evolution. Now, I have my favorites, I have my favorites, I have my preferred views. But let me just simply say, so because I want you to, I really, I don't want to give you my viewpoint on this. I want you to really look at this, and I want you to investigate this issue yourself. But understand that the most important thing of all is, the, is this that God exists. The most important truths found in Genesis one and in the scientific data are that we are here. The universe came to be, over a process of time, even if you're a young earth creationist, there's a process that took place, and that God was the source of our existence. That is the most important thing that we need to take out of this conversation. That's the most important thing. Now, all these other details we need to work out, and there are some out there who are good, godly Christians who are young earth creationists. I don't think they're crazy. I think they have good reasons for believing what they do. There are also many good godly Christians who are old earth creationists out there. And and, and they love God, they love scripture, and uh, and they, they theologically are sound. I think that we need to be able to come to the table and have a good conversation about this issue. Because these issues do matter. And so we need to, to, to come at this. I think we need to as, as Christians, we need to come at this Looking at both the biblical data I would just also say philosophical data that we have As well as the scientific data And work out what Scripture tells us most importantly But what we can also learn from the natural world From what scientific data tells us as well And I think that if we do that uh, we, we may not always agree with one another And you know, the, the conclusions to which we come but we can at least have reasons for believing what we do. And most importantly, be able to show individuals the most important truth of all, that we are here, that God exists, and God is responsible for giving us life. Well, friends, this is Brian Chilton saying God bless, and we'll see you back next time as we step into the arena of ideas right here on the Bellator Christie Podcast.
2: The
1: views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of BellatorChristy.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi Podcast is a production of bellatorchristie.com and is protected under Creative Commons Copyright All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Kayla Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment.
0: Who is God? What is He like? How can we know? The answers you give to these questions will have a tremendous impact on your worship, discipleship, apologetics, and evangelism. Faulty ideas about God are permeating both the church and the culture. It's time to get back to the basics of understanding the existence and nature of the God who is. Marking the 25th year of this annual event. Southern Evangelical Seminaries, National Conference on Christian Apologetics returns to Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina with an all-star lineup of some of the finest Christian minds in the world to explore this incredibly important topic. Join us October 12th through 13th, 2018 at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Among the 65 speakers at the event include Ravi Zacharias of RZIM, Josh McDowell of Josh McDowell Ministries, Chip Ingram of Living on the Edge, Gary Habermas of Liberty University, Natasha Crane, Richard Land, and many, many more. Ticket prices before August 1st are $75 for adults, $45 for students. After August 1st, the tickets go up to $85 for adults, $55 for regular price. Save an extra 5% per ticket when you register by May 1st. Group, homeschool, christian school, and skeptic discounts are available call for details by dialing 1-800-77-TRUTH extension 201 once again that's 1-800-77-TRUTH extension 201 or go to conference.ses.edu the 25th anniversary of the National Conference on Christian Apologetics will be October 12th and 13th at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina I hope to see you there
1: We're standing on the ground that for three years we have prayed that will one day be the site of the greatest Christian school in the world. we prayed that way. We believe God gave us this mountain for that purpose. I've said to these young people repeatedly and I say it again to you today, You are the hope of America. When you leave the graduation platform of liberty, I want you to leave it running. Leave it running with a vision burning in your soul. You're going to change this world for Christ. Don't look around and wonder who it is. Say, God, make it me. Make it me. Because we're training champions. That's a part of the vision. Write the vision, make it plain. We're training champions to change the world.
2: Those words, spoken by Dr. Jerry Falwell, cast a vision that brought us to this mountain. Those who were around during the early years remember attending convocation in a 3000 seat tent because no building on campus could hold all the students. Then there was the winter of 1977 when the building they'd been using for classes was scheduled for demolition. Their response was to stand in the snow for two hours, praying, Welcome to Liberty where we train champions for Christ. Welcome to a world of audacious dreams, a world where strong character is built with grit and grace, a world where men and women go out bravely to fix what's broken. What one man dreamed, his son built. 10 years ago, President Falwell picked up the mantle his father laid down and the university has been flourishing in ways thousands of faithful dreamers had seen only in their prayers. Our tradition of unwavering faith is their legacy, because you are what they prayed for.
1: Graduates, you will face seemingly insurmountable hardships and obstacles often throughout your career. At times, everything will seem hopeless, and every fiber of your being will be screaming for you to quit and give up on your dreams. But persevering in those darkest hours is what separates the winners from the losers.
2: Only if you press on will you achieve greatness. In less than 50 years, 154 students have become 110,000. Missed paydays have become a billion-dollar campus, and what began as a preposterous dream has become the largest Christian university in the world. With elite Carnegie status and FBS football, oh, we're coming, and we're coming to win. We're not leaving our convictions behind. We still have the privilege, the right, and the responsibility to show the world what Jesus looks like. We still believe that hard work, courage, and integrity define our faith as much as compassion and kindness. We are bold, we are innovative, we are faithful and diligent. We celebrate both our diversity and our unity as one family. At Liberty, Privilege to mentor the next generation of Christian leaders is not something we take lightly, because virtues necessary for a praiseworthy life are not built overnight. They require scholars with determination, creativity, and a passion for wisdom. Our faculty have done great things, helped invent hearing devices for the deaf, done groundbreaking research on technology addiction, influenced the way crime labs use DNA analysis, They have written film scores, won Emmys, and made headlines in archaeology, philosophy, and paleontology. But their greatest legacy will be you. We defy the stereotypes that others try to impose on us. Your classmates are directing their own films, interning at NASA, and taking on poverty across the globe. While the world sees champions as only victors, we will reclaim the word and its meaning. We the champions, in order to affirm our tradition of unwavering faith. Ignite a passion for wisdom. Challenge perspectives. Inspire creativity and pursue knowledge. Do resolve to be the voice for the voiceless. Bring healing to the hurting. Fight for the oppressed. Defend freedom. Defy stereotypes. And follow God's calling wherever it may lead. It is who we are. It's what we stand for. It always has been, and always will be.
0: To learn more about Liberty University, go to liberty.edu.